As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the Bulls Talk Podcast presented by Coors Light. I am Tony Gill, podcast producer for NBC Sports Chicago, filling in for host Jason Goff. And along with me on today's podcast is Robert Schaefer and Casey Johnson. Coming up on the show, we talk about and give you updates on the newest information about the COVID-19 that has took control of sports. We also get into our favorite Chicago Bulls ever, and we also get into our favorite Bulls to cover. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste, filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness, and packaged cold for peak refreshment. Because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. What's up, guys? All right, what's up, guys? How you guys doing? Like everybody else, trying to figure it out, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's still as crazy as it's ever been and as crazy as we've ever seen it uh, in terms of the sports landscape. But, I mean, just in regular society, uh on that landscape as well. Um, how are you guys holding up? Uh, Casey, I know you're not the, the biggest TV person. Yeah, um, I'm not a big TV guy, so that part of it is not that different for me in terms of not having sports on TV. Uh, I was, you know, occasionally would check in on other games on League Pass on my laptop, but uh, I was more of a old school cover the game that you're at kind of guy, and then just I'm a reader, so I would read on – everything going on around the league and, you know, different teams and different players and trends and rumors and mm-hmm. gossip. So all that uh, reading is the same. It's just different content. Obviously uh, you're not reading about what's going on on the court. You're just trying to figure out what's going on off of it. And it's a pretty unprecedented time for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I, for me at least, I, I don't know what has it been five or six days since this has kind of really set in. Uh, I still don't think it's really sunk in for me, kind of the, the totality of what this reality is going to be for the next, you know, two to four months. It looks like we, we still are, it kind of feels like we're not quite even at the beginning of it. Um, but it's been, it's certainly been an adjustment. It's, it's been a thing where it still feels like we're in the eye of the, the news storm around this whole thing where new information is still, you know, it slowed down a little bit since it felt like it was on a minute to minute basis at, at, at one point where you literally couldn't walk away from your phone. Uh, or computer, but it still feels like things are changing every day. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically by the end of this week, it seems like we'll have fully sunk in the, the new reality that we're in, but it, it's been weird not having live sports on TV and to talk about and, and things of that nature. So um, yeah. Cause, cause the reaction is, Oh, well, it's six o'clock or six thirty. a pregame show is coming on at seven o'clock. There'll be a game. And that's, just not it, you know, right now with everything being canceled. So it's been really weird. It's been a really odd time. And like, you know, when we, you know, kind of get away from this and as it, you know, goes back to quote unquote normal, um, it's going to be interesting trying to explain this specific era to, you know, our kids and our grandkids. Like there was a time where all sports ended for you know a season and having to explain that to the next generation coming up is it, it's going to be one of the more odd, odd conversations that we'll have uh the, the more separation we'll we'll get from this and that's things to get back to you know normal and i use quote unquote normal because i do think that it's what this was and how it just kind of ravaged uh american society like it's it's gonna be in books like it's gonna be told 
from 30 for 30 for 30s and how seasons were interrupted by, you know, a virus. Like it's, it's going to be crazy just reliving this once we get the proper amount of separation from this. Yeah. Yeah, man. I've been saying like, we're, it feels like we're in a, like textbook territory like where we're like, we know this is going to be like the full, a full chapter in somebody's textbook, not too far into the future, uh, like learning about it. And that's the thing. It's, it's just not really a, a sports story uh, yet. It has fully consumed kind of every facet of all of our lives. Um, and I know Casey, you've said a bunch of times that you've kind of, I mean, everybody's been saying it's unprecedented, but you have said multiple times to me that it's, you know, this is all unlike anything you've ever seen before. And if it's unlike anything Casey Johnson has ever seen, then we are, certainly in uh, uncharted waters yeah I'm the, I'm the old person on the podcast here <laughs> and i'm the and i'm the only one with kids so i have been telling, i've been telling our kids you're, you're you're living through history it's not uh a pleasant chapter of history but it's history nonetheless and you know obviously this is extending even down to youth sports i'm very active in youth sports coaching both of our sons play youth sports and um all their seasons have been disrupted as well so it's uh it's touching every level and um it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sad and it's hard, but, you know, I think there's also going to be a lot of moments of beauty and community and togetherness coming out of this as well. We did. You did say that you were out there giving your kids buckets, though, during this little break here. <laughs> yeah, I, I had it going on yesterday. It was one of those days where I was like, felt like Steph Curry on the, uh, on the, on the cement at, at uh, Sen High School. I, I could not miss. So it was, it was a good feeling. <laughs> Yeah, for for all of you fans that don't know, like KC was a pretty decent athlete uh, coming up in uh, in his young basketball days. If you call Division Three pretty good, I, I, I think, we might I, think he said, I think he said decent. I think he said decent. <laughs> yeah, I think, think think we think we might need to lower our standards a little bit, but. Uh, <laughs> It's all good. As long as I can bust on my kids, it's all good. Right. <laughs> you got a couple years left of that. You got a couple years left mm. of that. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I think the I, the first time I beat my dad at basketball was like thirteen. It was in summer. We were on vacation in. I remember it specifically. We were in Florida, uh, Orlando, and they had a basketball court. And he's like, "All right, son, let's 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 do this once again." And I was just tired of losing to him, and I just destroyed him. It, it was the best feeling in the world. Well, our oldest is fourteen, and I swatted his stuff onto uh, Hollywood yesterday. So. <laughs> He's got a he's got a ways to go, man. <laughs> oh man! Right, um, we do want to lighten it up, though. Um, despite everything that's going on, we want to kind of make this an escape a little bit for our listeners uh, out there that do want to still consume some, you know, some Bulls content. So we are in this podcast. We are. Uh, we did have a, a couple topics that we think that you guys might find interesting. Um, we want to discuss our personal favorite bull, uh, our personal favorite bull. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about, um, after that, just our favorite bull to cover. And obviously Casey Johnson has all the experience, so he will be able to provide uh, a lot of stories uh, for us to consume here. And hopefully one of them may go viral. So, <laughs> no pressure. Right. <laughs> but, um, I guess I'll start. Uh, I guess it's easy for me because I, I, it's easy for me to say Derrick Rose because I grew up here in Chicago. I grew up watching Derrick Rose, going to his high school games um, when I was, you know, a lot younger. Uh, but that's a bit too easy. So I'm, I'm going to lean Jay Williams. And I got a couple questions for KC since he was around when Jay was with the team. Um, I, I just actually watched an, an SB Nation video of the Bulls collapse after uh, the championship years and how they kind of gathered all of those top picks. And Jay Williams was one of them. Uh, and he was the very first jersey that I ever got. Uh, I wore 22 in my elementary school days because of Jay Williams. I, I loved everything about uh, Jay Williams. And when I look back on his, you know, short career, um, he was ahead of his time in terms of being the combo guard where there he could make plays passing but he can also dominate the ball in, in the scoring aspect too uh and it just kind of reminiscent of uh what came after him in terms of the the point guard play that's uh able to thrive in today's game for me jay williams if he was playing you know to in today he'd be up there with you know the the stephs and the chris pauls and and the top point guards in the league yeah, uh, I actually have two classic Jay Williams stories, and I think we should also quickly uh, 
at least from my perspective, mm-hmm. uh, bring it to the present tense and talk about, um, I think Jay, what Jay's been doing on Twitter the last few days has been really phenomenal. I think he's been out front a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff and he's been mm-hmm. really, really using his voice, I think for a lot of good. So shout out to Jay for that. Um, so I always crack up whenever I see Jay and Jalen on ESPN together because their rookie year, or I shouldn't say their rookie year, Jay's rookie year, the tension between those guys was legit. And I always say, um, like, one of my favorite all-time quotes from all the years I've been doing this was uh, first Jay Williams' first game, the Bulls had this incredible and unexpected road victory at Boston, and uh, they won despite Jay uh, missing a bunch of late free throws down the stretch. And we went up to Jalen, you know, thinking we just lob up a softball question and, like, get, you know, what a great win. Nobody expected this. And his first question was, we got to do something about Jay Williams' late game free throw shooting. In the NBA, we just call that choking. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We were like, wow, all right, here we go, It was unbelievable. Uh, He could say it was playful, but it didn't feel like it at the time. And then – the other uh, obvious story was uh, the the horrific night where really Jay, I, I don't think, I hope people understand like how close that dude was to losing his life. Number one, losing a leg. Number two, um, it was a crazy night because it was after the season, it was June 19th. And uh, I actually was coming back from getting dinner with my then girlfriend, now wife and just no cares in the world. Summer night, beautiful night in Chicago. And I actually got a call from a, teammate who tipped me off to it and I'll never forget uh being on deadline for that story because it was obviously a very sad and difficult story to report and also there are HIPAA laws in effect so you it was hard to get information properly but uh that that was an incredibly uh emotional and difficult story and you know no matter what you thought about Jay and he was actually pretty polarizing and he and I have talked about this I'm not talking out of turn he was actually pretty polarizing his rookie year here because uh, he came in pretty brash and confident and then underwhelmed at times. But I do agree, showed some glimpses of being a very good player for the future. Um, but, uh, you know, it, to, nobody wanted to see no, – it, it reached that end. I mean, that was just such a tragic story and, and really, really emotional time uh, covering the beat back then. Yeah, when I um, – when my father told me what happened to Jay, I, I, I couldn't really grasp – what that meant that he's like, no, no. What are you talking about? He just had like a good rookie year. I saw him in the, you know, the futures game. Like he, he was he, the one supposed to be one of the pillars for this, you know, team and for, you know, a team that it was time for me to start grasping at the, in the, in my formative years of being a, of growing into a basketball fan, Jay Williams was the guy that I was, that I was looking to and to, have my father tell me, well, he may not play basketball ever again. Like it was just mind blown as a child. And it was uh, one of the first instances that I specifically remember that like, you know, stuff can be taken away from you. Like, I mean, young people are supposed to, you know, have fun being young and thriving and, and, and grow into, you know, being things and being great things. And, to not C.J. Williams anymore on a basketball court was really, really weird. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Bill Cartwright was the coach at the time, and I remember talking to Bill about it while it was going on at one point. Um, and, you know, Bill is obviously a very stoic guy, and, and, and he was, like, crying on the phone, like, sobbing because uh, he had, you know, been visiting the hospital room many, many times, and, you know, Jay's parents were there, and it was just – yeah. I mean uh, – I thought we I thought we said we'd moved on to the fun portion. Yeah. Of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Rob, do you have any thoughts yeah. on, on Jay on Jay Williams? Well, yeah. Well, well, my my kind of experience with him is kind of knowing how legendary of a of a college player he was and and how he had that potential in his early time in the league. But but the mo- most of my kind of in the moment consumption of him is as uh, the TV analyst and personality and kind of bright, intelligent. Um, incredibly prescient voice uh as kind of a tv personality um and i think it's pretty amazing like given the context of everything you guys are talking about that he was able to kind of forge that second act for himself and not kind of let the specter of his potential as a as a human being or as a figure in the sports world 
kind of fade with such a tragic event like that. Um, so I, I was not uh, as, you know, kind of sentiently aware of his arc with the Bulls at that time. Um, but he's become, you know, as you were speaking to Casey, a really prominent voice in sports throughout this decade and kind of especially now. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just incredibly valuable as that. Rob, uh, do you got, and I know Rob, you, you grew up as a, as a Celtic fan. So this is probably it's true just because it's pertinent to this conversation. We're talking about our favorite bulls and you know, you didn't, you didn't grow up in this area. So I'll I, tell you, I'll tell you what my, I'll tell you my least favorite bull was for a long time was Joe Kim Noah. Cause I did not like how he did my guy, Paul Pierce and came six of the, uh, of that Oh nine first round. Serious, but I always respected him for that. Um, but no, my East Coast roots actually do tie into my decision here or my favorite bull ever um, determination. Um, I So growing up in Connecticut, which I don't know if I've ever said on the podcast that I grew up in Connecticut, but I talk about it on Twitter every now and again. Um, the first kind of sports team that I ever fell in love with was uh, UConn basketball. Um, so to me, Ben Gordon was someone who has mm. been larger than life since I was, you know, five or six years old and he kind of first got to the program and then uh, them and the women's team won, the, the men's and women's programs won the national title in 2004. They then did it again 10 years later, which is pretty cool stuff. I think UConn in the last couple of years has kind of faded in when people talk about preeminent division one college programs, but uh, I'll rep them for life. Um, and yeah, so I, so I knew about him before he got to the league, Ben Gordon, and then seeing him kind of, blossom in those middle years of his Bulls tenure, especially uh, in that first round playoff series when that kind of uh, that core of Joe uh, D Rose and, and Luol Deng and, and all those guys was, was first kind of uh, born. Um, he was a huge part of that. He was a huge part of the core of that team that to me, I always respected because they were, they had this attitude, this disruptive nature about them uh, of kind of not really caring who they were going up against. Like they were going to grind and compete and they might just beat you kind of on any given night. Uh, I know growing up as a Celtics fan, I kind of couldn't believe what I was seeing them taking that series to seven games and then seeing what that core of players grew into. Um, and yeah, and, and you were talking about Jay kind of the way that you could have forecasted him growing uh, throughout the way that the league has evolved. I look at someone like Ben Gordon and I picture him playing today in a league where you can run and gun and jack eight or nine threes a game. Uh, and kind of live on the fast break and, and things of that nature. And I think his game would have translated unbelievably well to sure, the, he, even yeah. even at even at his you know his height, he wasn't you know particularly tall. Hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred. No, he would. I, I think I, I'm right with Rob, man. His game would a hundred percent translate to today's game. He was before his time, man. He'd be. That's he'd what I'm be, saying. Yeah. He'd be. He'd be better now. He'd be better. Really? Now. What's yeah. what? What's the cop? The cop is he's a knockdown three-point shooter who can get his shot off against bigger players. You don't, you don't need a cop. He did it back then. And before, and, and it wasn't allowed to take a lot of three-point shots. He took a lot of long twos, actually. So And he was cop, shifty, man. Yeah. He, was, he could get to the basket. And he, it, like, he, had, a, he had a touch and a, and a finishing ability out on the rim that I think for someone his size goes a little underrated, too. Because uh, uh, my thing was with Ben, and I enjoy watching Ben and all that was Ben Gordon. I've always had a uh, – like a, a bit of a skepticism about how his his game would translate into any significant winning uh, because of just he was super small score guy that couldn't really, you know, create off the dribble. Um, I don't have a problem with small score guy, but usually the small score guy is can't create off the dribble. I know what to do with that off the dribble. I don't know about a, Clay Thompson, a shorter Clay Thompson, without the defensive capabilities, uh, into in today's game, and I'm sure he, you know, he thrive. He, you know, play really well because he can't really touch guys anymore. Um, just yeah. even as recently as it, you know, it's been since he's been out of the league. But um, I'm just having I'm just having a hard time seeing like transferring what Ben Gordon was good at, which was shooting a little ball. Uh, kind of in today's game where, you know, those guards are – like he will be attacked constantly because of, you know, his size and uh, his defense um, on, on the other end. So I, I, 
I'm I'm gonna disagree with you guys. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the guy. <laughs> well, your point, just, yeah, yeah. Just a couple you're, things. I mean, like, uh, first of all, I, I didn't think, say you'd have to be the lead guy on a championship team, but I mean, mm-hmm. to okay, Rob's yeah. point, I mean, he brought up that Celtics series. By the way, that was the the best playoff series I ever covered. Uh, seven games, <laughs> four overtime games, seven total overtime periods. Think about yeah. that; it was insane. Um, but uh, in that series alone, I mean, he's, he's scoring over Ray Allen a lot of those times down the stretch. And sometimes Paul yeah. Pierce would switch on him and he'd score over him. So he could get his shot off against bigger people all the time. I agree with you. He wasn't the guy who got to the rim a lot. He did occasionally. And he was def- defensively not a lockdown guy. But uh, he, I, I think his game translates to any era because he, can, he, can, he just had an innate ability to score and also to hit the clutch shot. Yeah, I do. I do see your point, Tony, about the the translating to winning, especially as like a, a preeminent weapon on a on a winning team. But just the numbers. I mean, you just have to figure that the way that he played and the way that he scored and shot, his numbers would have just been so inflated uh, in this day and age. Um, like as his career ended with the Bulls, I mean, he had a if I can remember correctly. Um, he had a pretty decent, like, final year with the Bulls uh, before taking that, you know, nice contract in in Detroit. Uh, Casey, could you provide, like, some, some light on how that ended up, you know, going down where the Bulls' number three pick, you know, just kind of just left? Yeah, so it was actually it, the, the uh, groundwork for it happened the summer before when both he and Luol Dang were – up for extensions and weren't able to hit on uh, on extensions. And then um, and Lou ended up getting a, an extension and Ben's feelings were hurt to the point where he was just going for the, for the money. And he's talked about this publicly before. I'm not, mm-hmm. but, but he, he ended up regretting that. That was, that was the wrong move for him. Um, he went to Detroit and that's kind of where the downside slide to his NBA career started. I mean, he got paid, but, he was never in the as prominent of a role or as, as happy of a role as he was here in Chicago. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of a a lesson that it's, grass isn't always greener sometimes. You know, so mm. well, he, okay, he felt they prioritized Luol Deng over him. Wow, uh, I mean, but I got it though. Like I understood it. I I know he was the, you know, the higher pick, you know, in the draft. And, you know, when he got drafted, I was like, oh, Jordan, you know, was drafted number three overall and like all these expectations and stuff like that. But Lou was coming to his own at that, that, at that time too. Like he was becoming a really, really good player, like good enough where um, maybe case he provides some, a little light on that, on that Kobe trade where the Bulls didn't feel comfortable trading him. Yeah, I mean, well, and also Kobe made it clear that he wouldn't come to the Bulls if if Luol was going the other direction. So mm-hmm. that that wasn't a that wasn't a Bulls didn't get Luol Deng because they wouldn't trade Luol Deng story. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Bulls didn't get Kobe Bryant because they wouldn't mm-hmm. trade Luol Deng story. Right. Um, but no, Luol was definitely more of a two way player. Um, you know, but Ben his last year with the Bulls, he averaged twenty point seven points per game and shot. I'm looking at it right here. Shot forty one percent from three on five five attempts. And this is an era where, you know, the three-point shot wasn't, um, you know, as valued so or as utilized. So, um, yeah. Played I all mean, 82 games, too. Yeah. Played, played yeah. 80 games, what's this, four out of five years with the Bulls. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, that's, that's, that's valuable in and of itself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they just they, – they, they, they picked Luol and, uh, you know, Ben's they, – they, Ben felt they prioritized Luol over him and it's just – he took the money and ran to Detroit. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you're right, Tom. I, I don't think you can. Uh, I don't think you can say or you can fault the Bulls for making that calculation. But uh, but he'll be my guy regardless. Oh, okay. Go Huskies. Yeah. <laughs> hey there, this is Tom Haverstrow, your national NBA insider for NBC Sports and host of the Haver Show podcast. Want to know what to make of the NBA shutting down its season? Lots to unpack. So listen to my latest episode with BR senior NBA writer Howard Beck, who has covered the league for decades as we unpack the NBA's coronavirus crisis. This was forced on them. They really had no choice. Download The Haber Show now, wherever you listen to podcasts. KC, favorite bull. 
All right. Well, I got to separate this because I'm the old guy. I got to separate this to my upbringing as like who I liked <laughs> as a fan and then my all-time favorite Bulls. So growing up, I loved Reggie Theus because I, no, I played no defense and I like scoring and uh, <laughs> that fit right in. Plus, you know, uh, my dad used to take me to the old Chicago Stadium and, uh, you know, buy a ticket that day because there was like 7,000 people in the stands and uh, – watch Reggie and Orlando Woolridge and those teams get their hat handed to them, but run up and down and score a lot of points and have a lot of fun. So <laughs> Reggie always had a soft spot in my heart. Um, can't get, can't those short shorts were something else too, man. So they're coming era. back. They came back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> different era. But then, I mean, come on. I can't believe it's taking the old guy, the third guy to say Michael Jordan. I mean, come uh, on. I mean, well, oh yeah. <laughs> I think we were going off the beaten path. No, I mean, there's no, going. there's no strayed from the beaten path of Michael Jordan. Uh, Fair so, enough. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just, uh, not only as someone who admired him from afar before I got into this business, but then was fortunate enough to, uh, to cover the second three peat. I mean, that was, that was as good as it gets, obviously. So I don't need to elaborate much on that one. <laughs> was uh, was Jordan a jerk at all? No, and I always say this, like, so I was not the lead beat guy. Um, and, you know, the Tribune had like a thousand people covering that team. So I was, I was uh, more of a sidebar guy. I dealt with more like the Steve Kerrs and the Tony coaches and mm. the Ron Harpers and things like that. But my assignment in the 98 finals was to write Michael Jordan every day. Um, that was my assignment. Mm-hmm. Just write Michael every day. So obviously an amazing assignment for a young journalist. And what I always said is he was so big that, you know, you felt like you were dealing with a corporation than more than a person that said he was, he, he loved the give and take with media and he enjoyed the thoughtfulness to the press conference situation and the scrum. So, um, I, I, I always found him to be very, very good with the media and uh, very patient with the media. He gave, he knew how big he was. He gave his time every day. Um, but my point is, like, you were, I wasn't, like, sitting around, like, having casual one-on-ones with Michael Jordan all the time because he was just so big. It was always in a group setting. I was around him for three seasons, and I think I had a one-on-one with him three times in three seasons. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, uh, no, I thought he was fantastic with the media. Uh, I mean, just the you when especially like my generation, um, there's always a respect for Jordan, but he wasn't you know he wasn't ours, right? You know, like yeah. so. I mean, uh, we see YouTube videos, or I vaguely remember like the last championship run, vaguely. Um, yeah, but you know, Kobe was mine, and LeBron, you know, was mine, but. Uh, yeah, Mike, Michael, Michael wasn't ours, and right. it's got to be—it's—it's it's, got to be weird for you know for you seeing that type of excellence uh, up close for the time that you did, and then just kind of the steady decline post that. Like it's—I I mean, did you get used to covering? You know, going to the playoffs, up another playoff run, got to get my schedule ready and stuff like that. Like, was that? A, did you think that it would take you know this long to kind of get back? to where they were when you first started covering? Uh, I mean, I, you, you, you knew you were covering something incredibly historic and unique. I mean, six championship in eight seasons. I, I covered the second three. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would often have, like, objective out-of-body experiences where I would say, all right, you, you better savor this. You better appreciate this because this isn't going to happen again. And, you know, I was right. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, when you're covering a dynasty, uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing experience, um, and I definitely feel like I took the proper moments to appreciate it while it was going on. Um, let's uh, move on to our our next topic, and I think this is going to be really interesting because current Bulls fans are going to be able to uh, have another connecting point. Is uh, since and this is probably again more KC. This is Rob's first year covering uh, the Bulls beat, and this is mm-hmm. my second year. Um, so there's not a, there's like three years of experience versus all of KC's uh, matching up. So um, let's so let's start with Rob this time, then I'll go after Rob. Rob, uh, during your first season, who has been your favorite uh, Bull to cover? 
Well, it's like picking your, your favorite child, man. I mean, you know. <laughs> no, but I, I do feel fortunate uh, it being my first year on the beat because I, I think, Casey, you would even attest to this. It, it, the current Bulls team, for whatever the Encore product has been, is full of just really professional, kind, and, like, good-mannered people. I, I haven't run into a – I haven't had a hot-headed interaction. I haven't had many times where a player has said no to a, a one-on-one or a quick, Hey, can I ask you a couple things or anything of that nature? So I, I wouldn't say a, a bad word about anybody. Um, I would say if I had to pick one person and, and the way that I thought about this was who has taught me the most about basketball in my mm-hmm. limited interactions with some of these people. Cause I do think that gets lost sometimes in the kind of quest for the quote and we got to, hold this person accountable for this and ask this person that, and this is what happened in the game. But ultimately what I think I try to do with that or what I try to take advantage of with the access that I'm have the privilege of having is to learn a little bit about the game from these people. And unsurprisingly, Thad Young has taught me on multiple occasions has just taught me little fundamental kind of on court strategic or fundamental things that as someone who didn't never played the game at a high level, I might not be party to having that knowledge. And he uh, pretty much no matter what environment you catch him in uh, is usually very open, honest, candid, will answer a direct question if you give him one and kind of unprompted has just launched into X's and O's explanations of things that have taught me stuff about basketball. Um, I would, I would also say that uh, Thomas Sadoransky is just an exceptionally funny, quirky, just great dude. Uh, Tony, me, me and you talk about that a lot. Um, I've enjoyed covering Kobe. I, I do enjoy covering the people that are, that are close to my age too, because there, there's a little bit of a, a kinship with that kind of, I'm kind of a rookie as, as Kobe White is a rookie at the same time. So uh, I've, I've found a little bit of a, a connection there, but uh, in terms of just kind of a statesman and someone who I've learned a lot about basketball from, uh, I'd have to shout out Thad Young. I, I think he's been a real pleasure to to cover to this point. That's a very interesting take, Rob. That you you lean you lean toward guys that have taught you something, and like, and that's something that I kind of I appreciate too because um, I play basketball, obviously not as high of a level as Casey Johnson. Um, but Stop I was, <laughs> but, I, but I was, I was pretty, I was pretty decent. Had a, you know a couple opportunities, so um, I, I feel knowledgeable about basketball. But also knowing that this level is completely different from any other space of basketball that I've ever participated in. So going into that, willing to learn, even if you know the people or the uh, the players are my age or younger oftentimes now younger which is weird now because i'm usually i'm used to being the youngest person in the room and had been until like you know rob has come in and now like the players and kobe white like man you were born in the 2000s like what yeah yeah <laughs> um, but t- even taking something from them because they've reached that level so they've obviously you know with their genetics and physically but also mentally they figured it out to make it to this level and, and learning from them is, is, is essential. I don't know if, uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on that Casey? Yeah, I thought Rob, uh, th- that was a really interesting perspective. And I, you had that article, that article where you talked to Thad about, um, the rebounding problem. That's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. yeah. That's the first thing I thought of. Why don't you, why don't you kind of detail that for the listeners? Because that kind of details what you were taught underscores what you were talking about with teaching you something about the game. Yeah, so it, it's not the only example of this, but it, but it is the first one that I that that came to mind. This was maybe my second or third week on the job, and uh, it was the everybody will remember this game. There was the the game that the Hornets won, eighty three to seventy three, and I think both teams shot under thirty percent for three. Just like one of the ugliest games of basketball that I've ever watched. Of all and time, I, of I all think time. I can safely say it will be <laughs> for a long. Like I'm, I'm new to this, but I, I think for a long time that will stay one of the ugliest games that I've ever watched in my life. And Casey and I, when we're thinking, okay, how do we want to attack this post game? Uh, who wants to write one angle? Blah blah blah. Some you know behind the scenes stuff. I'm sitting there, and it's my second week, third week. And I'm still getting used to kind of the the pace of things anyway. And I'm like, what the hell? What like what the hell do I write off of a game like this? 
um, where really everybody's just mad and sad and frustrated and nothing really of note happened uh, in terms of a, a single player excelling or anything like that. And it's another bad loss. So I went into the locker room without having any idea of what I was going to write about, but I knew that the Bulls had gotten out-rebounded pretty badly in that game. And I knew that uh, leading up to that game, they'd been out-rebounded in the vast majority of their games. Uh, for the, it, the season was pretty young at that point, but to that point. So I just walked in, and I don't, I don't remember if this was exactly a one-on-one. There might have been two or three other people around, but I basically just went up to Thad and was like, he, you, I know already that you're someone that, will give me an honest answer if I ask you an honest question that comes from a thoughtful place. And I, in some terms, asked him kind of what was behind the consistent disparity on the boards for you guys, just kind of to this point in the season. And he gave me a very honest and candid answer about how the scheme, the the very popular scheme that the Bulls play defensively, where they blitz and they play high on the pick and roll and bring their bigs up out of the paint um, to try to bother opposing ball handlers coming around screens which famously forces a lot of turnovers, generates a lot of points off turnovers, but also, and I think this is, well, this is a whole other conversation, but uh, it's behind a lot of their third quarter struggles because once a smart team or a smart ball handler figures out how to pick that aggressive coverage apart, it generates a lot of open corner threes and a lot of open looks at the rim. Um, and what Thad told me was, listen, like a reason that we consistently get out-rebounded as much as we do is because that playing that scheme, if a team gets a shot off the next pass, um, coming on, coming off of the off of the screen, uh, a lot of times our bigs are just flat out out of position, like they're scrambling to to get back to their proper position under the basket or to the next rotation, and it leaves us vulnerable to offensive rebounds. It leaves us vulnerable to second chance points, um, and it leaves us vulnerable to relying on our guards and wings to rebound. And I think in that game, I don't remember, I think Zach Levine was the team's leading rebounder in that game, which pretty uh, perfectly illustrated that point um, that night. Uh, And that was something that like me watching a game, especially from, you know, the courtside angle, you don't always, and you know, you're writing at the same time, you're trying to live tweet, you're paying attention to the box score, you're doing all these different things that come with covering a game. You don't necessarily always look at possession by possession uh, the game of basketball that way, or at least I hadn't yet. Uh, and him giving me that answer gave me something to look for when I'm analyzing the rebounding struggles kind of for the rest of the season. Um, and yeah, that's something that's popped up again and again. And I thank him for his candor there. He didn't you know, necessarily blame it on the coaching staff or anything. He just said it's something that kind of happens within the flow of the game. It's the reality of the style of play we play. Uh, and some days there's benefits to it. Some days there are detriments. Uh, but that's just an example of something that as much basketball as I've watched in my life, as much as I love the game, as much as I've got takes and jokes and uh, I'm an observant person and I can sift through the numbers all I want. That's just a level of in-game attention to detail as things are happening in front of you that I'll admit, like just humbly, like I needed that level of insight to kind of cue me into that. Uh, and then you watch for it going forward. It makes you a better reporter. It makes you a better watcher of the game um and it makes you a better person to be in that locker room because if you're just running around with your head cut off not knowing you know even some basic x's and o stuff like that it leads to you not asking the questions that are going to get you the uh the answers that you want uh yeah by by the way as a quick aside uh during that stretch uh we rob and i probably should have published some of our uh, back and forth exchanges about what we're going to write about post game because I, I would i would usually land on general awfulness <laughs> yeah and then i post and then i'll post an art thing casey's writing about general awfulness and he'd be like well actually i meant this specific and he'd correct me a little bit i'd be like all right well you know um but yeah it gets uh in the doldrums of a of an underwhelming season it gets a little it gets a little dicey sometimes yeah, and uh, I'm kind of like the wild card in there. Like, I don't have any writing responsibilities. I'm just there because, you know, I, you know, I have been covering the team the last couple of years. Uh, I developed relationships with uh, the people on the beat, um, and you know, Bulls PR, and uh, you know, a couple players. Uh, so I, I'm just appreciative that I get to work with you guys uh, and see you guys in your element, and then be able to take that and try and formulate ideas and stuff to bring back to the podcast so you guys do a great job first let me add that um so these two years have been really interesting 
uh, a coach got fired the first year I covered. Um, <laughs> so that was pretty interesting. Um, but I have to say uh, my favorite bull to cover has got to be Wendell Carter. Um, good answer. He's just a, a great, honest quote um, and doesn't really beat around the bush. And, and that you know, he doesn't you know, throw his teammates under the bus or anything like that. But he acknowledges that, you know, they are working through some stuff. Uh, and I think that's okay. And I don't I, – one thing I don't like is don't, don't sell me a drink. You know, don't tell me something, you know, is something else uh, when it's not. Uh, and I f- Wendell does a great job of explaining, like, yeah, we're, we're trying to get through, you know, learning this new scheme and learning to – you know, play without people, with people. Uh, and, and every step of the way, he's been just kind of, you know, honest. Uh, especially in his rookie year, I really took note of just how he felt like somebody needs to step up when it got really dark and really bad uh, during his rookie year. And he's like, man, we just need some people to, you know, step up and say something um, and stuff like that. I was like, wow, like coming from a rookie uh, in that locker room, I thought that was that was very very impressive to me. Um, so I I would have to go with Wendell Carter just because I know and also he's going to be a good player in the NBA. Like he's going to be in the NBA for a long long time. Um, and I, I even though I, I got to be honest, I, I was hoping that they would draft Michael Porter Jr. take a big swing at that. I am glad the Bulls they ended up taking uh, Wendell Carter. I hope Michael Walton's listening to this. That's music to his, <laughs> I hope he's listening to this. That's music to his ears. Um, that's I, I. I think that's a great choice, Don. I. He's he is someone that has struck me, and I don't necessarily have the the wealth of experience to speak from when I say something like this. But he has always struck me as someone that's that's kind of wise behind uh, wise beyond his years. And I would um, I would wonder what you would think of that, Casey. Yeah, no, no doubt. I agree. Uh, for someone, I was going to say basically the same phrase. You know, for someone that young to have that kind of uh, maturity and, you know, world-weary wisdom at times. I think it's, uh, it's impressive, and he certainly is a, a go-to guy occasionally for, for a post-game quote. Yeah, it just – he takes a while to get dressed. That's the only thing. <laughs> but that does – I mean, that, that, at a certain point, locker room dynamics, that does contribute to, you know, if you stick around long enough, that's the – that's the reward. That's the, yeah. that's the give it, that's the more authentic give and take you get to have when all the cameras have gone away. And, and most of the, most of the uh, newspaper people and other media people who have deadlines are, have kind of filtered out. That's, mm-hmm. that's sometimes the reward you get. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell this one story though, because it's, it's probably, it's, it's my fault that this didn't go better. Rob, I think I told you. Oh, is this the crystal? <laughs> yeah. This is, <laughs> Casey, I don't know if I, I don't know if I told you this story, um, but you know, earlier in the year, like very early in the year, and, you know, I, I'm trying to expand my range. I didn't – I never got a one-on-one before or talked to a player one-on-one uh, all of last year, my first year covering. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to try. So uh, it was it was just announced – it was at Bulls preseason, the first preseason, home preseason game. And it was announced uh, at that shoot-around that uh, Chris Dunn won't be starting. So um, I, I generally wanted – genuinely wanted to know just you know how do you take that as a as a player that was drafted in the lottery that was traded that's out here trying to prove something you know trying to get that next big contract i i genuinely want to know you know how he felt and how he plans to attack his certain situation so uh i i walk up to him and i started off like really bad i was i was talking really low i was nervous and i was like so uh, Chris, so, you know, with the announcement, how are you gonna, you know, attack this? And he he gave me the most the most PC answer like ever. Uh, and uh, me being weird and awkward, I was just like, oh, uh, the PC answer. And he just kind of like, what? Psh, all right, and then just turned around and start texting on the phone. That's pretty funny. I was like, oh man, I am the worst ever. I never want to come back. I never wanted to. I was like, that was it. I don't, I don't have to cover the team. I'll just stay in my studio at 670 score and talk about the Bulls from afar. Like, it took me a while to get to get over that. I was like, Chris Dunn hates me. That's it. He he hates me. He's going to tell everybody on the team uh, how, how I'm the worst 
you know, reporter slash cover of the Bulls ever. Uh, nobody's going to answer any of my questions. Like, none of that. I was that, – that stuck with me for, for a couple months. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, that's not in a journalism 101. That's not what they – that's not the first day of class necessarily what they teach you to do. But <laughs> – also, Chris Dunn, Connecticut guy. Shout out New London. Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. might just now that I now that I'm out as a Connecticut person, I might just make that. Uh, I might just bring that up every couple sentences. <laughs> um, KC favorite bull to cover. Joe Kim Noah. Ah, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Honorable yeah. mention, uh, Ron Artest. I refuse to call him Meta World Peace. And, <laughs> and Charles Oakley. Uh, You've got some Oakley stories. You've got some oh, Oakley stories. If you, you want to get into them, yeah, yeah you, you got to share at least one, the best one. I'll, I'll, I'll share. I'll share one of one from each player. But as far as Joakim, I, I've said this before, but he was to me the best combination of uh, intelligence, humor, honesty, worldliness, accessibility. You name it. I mean, the guy, you know, raised multiracially, multiculturally, um, had seen the world. Uh, passionate, articulate, honest, funny, really, really funny. Didn't take himself too seriously. Took the game seriously. Just a wonderful combination for a writer covering him and uh, obviously gave a lot of memorable quotes over the years. I I felt very, very fortunate to cover him. He's by far my favorite bull I've ever covered, although I've covered a lot of good ones. Um, Joe might have my favorite like just bulls quote of like all time with nobody goes goes on vacation in Cleveland. That was iconic. That was that was iconic, man. To David Hall, that was David Hall's question. David Hall, David Hall asked that question. Yeah, shout out David Hall, man. Yeah, uh, but he had a lot of great ones. I mean, uh, Hollywood is hell. He called the, yep. the, the yep. Heedle, he called the Heatles Hollywood is hell. Um, he had that one brilliant quote. It's pretty long. I won't remember it exactly, but when he talked about who he played for and the guy selling the newspapers out of the street on a cold freezing night. And then when he'd get introduced in pregame warmups and he'd see the person jumping up and cheering in the 300 level in the last row, he said, those are the guys I play for. I mean, and, and he yeah. was so passionate when he said it. And actually the context with which he said that that night was amazing because Joakim hardly ever blew off the media hardly ever but he had not talked to us for a week after the Luol Deng trade to Cleveland and it's because he was so upset about it he didn't want to say the wrong thing and bury the organization that he also loved so he had not talked for a week and then when he did it was just this beautiful moment where he talked about his passion for the organization and his friendship with Luol Deng and what Luol meant to him and how he understands the organization had to make a business move. And, but sometimes it's more about the people and, and that that's when he went into that anecdote I just shared about who he played for. And so that to me might've been the, the shining star of who he was as an interview subject. He just touched like all the right notes that in, in that one night and in that one moment. Yeah, I'm not going to hold you. I didn't believe in uh, <laughs> Joe Kino when they drafted him. I didn't uh, – uh, I, I liked Al Horford better than him, and I liked Corey Brewer over him. Like, I didn't – I mean, he was just this weird – like, I didn't know what to make of him when they drafted him or what he was going to be at the league level. I was like, well, another draft wasted. But Joe really grew on me, you know, o- over the years. I don't know what your first impressions of him, Casey, were. Well, I mean, he's well documented about this. His freshman year, or freshman year, his his rookie year was a disaster. He he did not play well. He was not liked on the team. He came in kind of with an attitude. He struggled to adjust to the NBA game. He used to drink red wine out of a Gatorade cup while we were interviewing him in the post game <laughs> locker room. Oh my God, really? I mean, it, 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 it was just not a good experience. That was the year he got suspended by. Uh, interim coach Jim Boylan, the other Jim Boylan, and his teammates, uh, Adrian Griffin, voted to extend the suspension to teach him a harder lesson. It was like insane. You've never heard of such a thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, his rookie year was not not a great experience. And all we had heard about was how great this guy was to deal with the, with the media, and he got off to a really, really rocky start, which uh, made his maturation and his his – as a player and as a interviewee, uh, even more impressive. Well, 
I think that's about wrapped it up. I mean, we've been, we've been I gotta, t- I gotta tell my ride our test. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Go, I, go ahead. I, I just, I, I can't, I can't stop without, without. I, I, people, some people have heard this before. I read, I wrote it once for the Tribune, but it, it, it is arguably my favorite moment on the beat, and I've had a lot of fun and neat moments. But it was, it was a day they traded him to the Pacers in the Jalen Rose trade. And we were at the Birdo Center, the old practice facility out in the suburbs. And he was still around, so we waited him out because it was a practice day. And uh, he finally came out and he talked to us, which he didn't have to do. So that was that was pretty cool. And, and you know, he's talking about how much the trade, you know, bothered him and upset him. But, you know, he'd go play his, you know, what off for the Pacers, blah, blah, blah. You know, gave us what we needed, probably five, seven, eight-minute scrum. And at the Birdo Center, there's this long hallway with uh, team pictures from every year in the organization's fran- uh, in the franchise's uh, history and also individual frame photos of each player on the team. And Artest finished his interview with us, and he walked down this long hallway, and he hit the exit to go outside to the player parking lot, and he hit the door, and he walked outside, and all of a sudden, we see him come barreling back in, and he came to this hallway – and he went up to his picture and he ripped it out of the drywall with two hands <laughs> and, and, and tucked it underneath his arm. And there's this gaping hole in the drywall. And he just says, they ain't going to be needing this anymore. And he walked out <laughs> and he walked out of the building and we were all just like laughing so hard, man. It was unbelievable, man. That is unreal. That's, that is funny. Oh yeah. my God. That's, that's my Rod Artest story. It's not many. It's not many characters like that in the NBA anymore. Yeah, I think they've all got. You know, they've all been training for this. You know, their NBA uh, career since they were like in high school. So they're all kind of media prepped, and they don't get too too angry or show too much. You know, passion. There's not a lot of. There's not a lot of people willing to go out there like it was back in the day and, and leave a gaping hole in the drywall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all right, man. Thanks a lot, guys, for coming on. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, Tony. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. All right, that was the Bulls Talk Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Uh, And please stay with us. We're going to provide you with as much content as we can um, And uh, through this suspension, uh, through the NBA suspension. We're going to you know, provide you with some different creative stuff. Please continue to read. Uh, what KC and Rob writes. They write excellent things just to keep you in the loop about what's going on and with your favorite basketball team, the Chicago Bulls. Catch you guys next time. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.